Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week five, day three of our study of Joshua. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Joshua 12, 1 through 8. Well, welcome back to the 10-week Bible study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us. God, speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump back into God's Word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. Uh, we're starting in Joshua 12, starting in verse 1. And this is going to be a, quite a geographic intensive chapter. Today and tomorrow's uh, broadcast will be quite geographic intensive. And so, uh, I mean, when it comes to especially tomorrow's, it's just a list of the names of cities. And so we're going to be looking at those. We're going to be looking at those today. So let's jump in. Joshua 12, starting in verse 1. These are the kings of the land whom the Israelites had defeated and whose territory they took over east of the Jordan, from the Arnon Gorge to Mount Hermon, including all of the uh, the eastern side of the Arabah. All right, so just to be clear, the Arabah, if you look that up today, it means one thing, but in, in their time, it meant the essentially the entire Jordan River Valley uh, and even south of the Dead Sea. And in some cases, I think it might have even meant north of the, the Sea of Galilee, but it's essentially the entire um, unusable land. You can't build houses and things like that because the Jordan River flooded on, a, on an annual or semi-annual basis or, or multi-annual basis. And so you couldn't build anything there. And that's why it was desolate. Uh, you could plant there and things like that, I'm sure, but they couldn't build things. So there's nothing there. There's no there's no habitations. There's no cities, nothing like that. So that's why it was called the Araba. Uh, but now Araba is just means kind of the, the land south of the Dead Sea. So let's take a look at that on the map. And if you uh, aren't watching this, you can check these out at 10weekbible.com slash Joshua. And so today we're talking about just the east side of the Jordan River over here. And this would be the Araba, kind of this area here and potentially even up there. And uh, so let's go ahead and continue on uh, verse Coming back to verse one, we're talking about from the Aron Gorge to Mount Hermon, including the eastern side of the Erebus. Verse two, Sihon, king of the Ammonites, who reigned in Heshbon. He ruled from the Aror, that's a hard word to say, on the rim of the Arnon Gorge, from the middle of the gorge to the Jabbok River, which is the border of the Ammonites. This included half of Gilead. He also ruled over the eastern Arabah from the Sea of Galilee to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, to Beth uh, Jeshemosh and southward below the, so the, the shores, the slopes of Pisgah. All right, let's pause right there and we're going to jump into the land that he had here. And so looking at the map again, what we're looking at here is uh, this is all of his territory. So here is Arn Aror and the Arnon Gorge is right here. And then this is essentially the Javik River. And so this is his territory. So you got Aror and Heshbon. These are the two cities that it's it's mentioning. And I want to say here real quick that all of the locations of all of the cities on these maps, everything that I've shown, it's all general. It's all relative. Uh, I'm locating these things as close as possible. Um, I'm looking at multiple different sources to try and figure out, you know, where these cities are. Some of them we know, some of them we don't. Um, 
some of them, it's our best guest. Some, we've even discovered the ancient cities. There's actually, uh, you know, a, a, a ruined city that they're excavating called a tell. And uh, in some cases, you know, people will do the excavation thinking it's one city. And then sometime later, they find out it's another city. So even some of the, the ancient cities that we've discovered, sometimes uh, future information comes up where we find out, oh, that actually wasn't that ancient city. It was this city. We still haven't found that ancient city. And so all of these things are, take them with a grain of salt. We kind of know generally where a lot of these are. But I, I do think, uh, even though we can't, in some cases, know exactly where, know for certain where some of these cities are, I think it's really helpful to kind of be able to place things on a map and look at them. Because I think actually having our understanding of Scripture rooted and grounded in real places, in real time, they really help uh, understand the the real world implications of this again it can feel like a fairy tale if it's if it's you know if it's if it's like we're talking about middle earth right lord of the rings and you've got this fictitious map this fictitious world that's sort of earth but not really you know and it's it, it, it can feel like a fairy tale if it's not really and truly rooted and grounded on real dirt, real soil in real time in human history. And that's what's going on here. We actually have real places. Some of them we've found. And again, um, I always like to, there should always be a grain of humility with everything that we, we think we know, right. Um, in, in just looking through all of the available archeology, span there's multiple occasions where archeologists, hundred years ago, 50 years ago, they found a city and they knew, they just knew it was this particular city that they were looking for. And then turns out 50 years, hundred years later, oh, actually that's not that city. That city is over here. This city was something else. Maybe it was this, maybe it was that, you know? And, and so there's just always though that kind of uncertainty when you're digging up things from thousands of years ago that were destroyed in some cases, thousands of years ago. And, and left for ruin and we just now find them. So, so there's just, there, there has to be some grain of humility that comes with, with locating these things. And so my maps will probably look different from other maps and I'm kind of picking and choosing where I'm placing some of the items on the maps for various, various reasons that I won't go into. Um, but all, all of these maps, right, they're, they're, they're a little bit fluid as we learn more and as we dig more. And there's essentially, I mean, imagine uh, living in a place. I, I've always lived in places where there is, is either no or very little bedrock to build upon. You got soil, you got dirt. Um, but in, in this part of the world, in Israel, you have, you know, you, you scratch six inches deep in, in virgin territory and you're going to hit bedrock. I mean, not, not always quite that like that, but there's a lot of places where you are right on top of the bedrock. And so if an army comes through and destroys a city and they level the walls, they level all the buildings, it's just this pile of rubble that's sitting there. If someone wants to come and rebuild that city, uh, they're going to try and reuse as much of the material as possible. But a lot of times if it's broken, it's laying there, it's easier to go and get new material. And what they would do is compact and level out the the material that's there. Instead of trying to take all of that, that garbage material that's been destroyed, uh, instead of trying to remove it and go back down to the bedrock, since most of it was stone anyway, they just level it out and build on top of what was there. So in so many cases all over Israel, 
since it's so rocky, the fountain and the foundations work, right? The foundations work. If I tried to do that where I live, my house would fall down if I tried to build on someone else's rubble. But over there, it works and it works well. And so they would just level out and compact the rubble and start building afresh. And so over time, the cities just kind of get taller and taller and taller. And, and so when they go to excavate these places, if there's a, a city that's been kind of continually inhabited, there's a lot of stuff that we haven't found because it's underneath where people are currently living. And very often when, you know, someone uh, goes to build a new project in Jerusalem or somewhere like that, and they start digging down to, to find some better foundation footings, especially for bigger buildings or whatever, where you need uh, better footings and better foundations than, you know, what, like a little house or something like that, that they would have been building would have needed. When they actually start digging down, they find amazing things almost every single time. There's just stuff everywhere. And so our knowledge of what's there is very limited, very limited. And whenever I'm looking at the archeology span and things like that from these, these periods and reading these archeologists have said, I'm always not all archaeologists are like this, but I am always amazed when I read them when they are so sure that this is that or that this didn't happen because of their excavations. And and there's the old adage that every, uh, you know, if, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So if you've done all of your study and all your research on this one thing, then of course you're going to tend to being very sure about things. But it takes a grain of humility to research in these kinds of things because, you can't turn over every spade of dirt. And even if you could, you know, how do we know how much was carried off or wasn't carried off, right? So we're we're piecemealing through incomplete information to come up with what we have. So all that to say, I, I present these maps. They're, I, the only thing I can guarantee you is that they're not correct. There's There's things wrong with each one of these maps, but I think they give us a general sense of where things are. And I think that actually helps locate things in our minds in real time and real space. With that, let's continue on to verse four with Og, king of Bashan. Verse four, and the territory of Og, king of Bashan, one of the last of the Rephaites who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edrai. He ruled over Mount Hermon, Salakah, all of Bashan to the border of the people of Geshur and Mecca, and half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. Uh, Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the Israelites conquered them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh to be their possession. All right, we're going to look at the divisions of the land another time when we get that into that in detail. But uh, essentially what we have, going back to the map here, uh, Moses is the one that conquered everything to the east of the Jordan River. Joshua is going to conquer everything over here on the west side. So everything on the east side went to the three tribes. Moses conquered that before they went into the land. And so these two kings, and we're gonna, we've, we've already f- seen that what Moses and the Israelites did to Og and Sihon, the two kings on the east side of the Jordan River, was famous. And one of the things that we need to understand when looking at this is on the west side, we've got all of these kind of like little city-states. There's not any one king that has a very large region of control. And part of that is because everything on the west side of the Jordan River is actually controlled by Pharaoh. It's all 
They're all vassal states to Pharaoh. So Egypt essentially extends into the land of Israel at this point. It, it, it's unclear to me, at least, how much control Pharaoh had on the east side of the Jordan River, which might point to why these two kings had uh, a much larger territory they controlled. And so um, the, the where the, the vassal states extended and how that worked, that was, you know, that's always kind of a fluid thing. And reading back through the, the information that we have, Again, uh, I, I think I think there's a little debate on this, but to me, it's a little unclear as to whether the east side of the Jordan River and moving kind of into the no man's land outside of the Fertile Crescent, the further away from the Jordan you get, how much of that was actually vassal territory. We know when we get much further away that the kingdoms uh, far east of the Jordan River were definitely not vassals to Egypt. So... I wonder, so this is just me working with kind of incomplete or at times conflicting information. These two guys, they have more territory than anybody else. And so they're more powerful, right? They, they're they ruling from these two cities, but there's a lot of cities. There's, a, there's as many cities on the east side of the Jordan as there are on the west. And uh, this is also fertile land, the closer to the Jordan River you get. And so, you know, these guys are just controlling so much more territory than any one king on the west side that when these two guys are defeated, the two big kings on the east side of the Jordan, this sends shivers into the spines of every king, every person on the west side of the Jordan River. All of these little fiefdoms, all of these little kingdoms, these city-states, they're very nervous when they hear that Og and Sihon have fallen relatively quickly and easily to the hands of of these nomadic Israelites. It's it's going to worry them in for good reason. Verse 7. Here's a list of the kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan from Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which rises toward Seir. Joshua gave their lands as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel according to their tribal divisions. The lands included all the hill country, the western foothills, the Arabah, the mountain slopes, the wilderness, and the Negev. These were the lands of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And these were their kings. I'm going to pause right there. We're going to look back at the map and see exactly what this is saying. So when we go, let me move. Oh, I can't get rid of any of that. Oh, here we go. So I've moved all that. And so now we can, let's draw in green here. So what it's saying is, uh, we're talking about uh, Lebanon here. He's saying that Joshua conquered from here down to about here. So this is the territory that Joshua conquered. Uh, you'll have to excuse me. My penmanship is really terrible. And this is the land that Moses conquered on the east side. And so Joshua is conquering all that. This is Seir down here and um, and Mount, uh, Mount Halak is down in this area. We don't actually know exactly where Mount Halak is. I couldn't find any good information on that, but everyone understands that this is Seir, and so no one knows exactly which peak uh, that we think that he's referring to on Mount, Mount uh, Halak, but we do know where Mount Hermon and everything in the Baal Gad and all of this up here in the north is what's being talked about when we're talking about uh, the northern extents. Now, we know that uh, th this is 
what what is being told to us here is a general overview of the land that they conquered, the land that they took. We know for a fact that they did not take every city. I mean, it's going to tell us later in Joshua they didn't take it all. We know that it's it's a constant struggle over the next 400 years over the territory that they take, that they lose. I mean, this is a very dynamic situation. If we look at this and say, okay, this was Israelite territory from here to forever, that's not how it worked. Right, so they're taking some of the land, some of the cities that they take, they lose and regain it multiple times. There's constant like back and forth going on all the way until the time of David, right? For the Israelites, in a lot of cases, it's two steps forward, one step back. They take a little bit, they lose a little bit. They take a little bit, they lose a little bit. It's not until David. Uh, Saul takes a little bit more than anybody else, but David takes all of the land that, that was promised to Israel. And we're going to look uh, soon at how much of that land, uh, starting with uh, chapter 13, we're going to look and see how much of that land was actually promised to Israel. And it is way more, way more than what we think of as the nation of Israel to this day. Again, we'll see that in chapter 13. Uh, So this is a, a broad generalization of what Joshua conquered. It's by no means trying to be very detailed. We're going to look at the detailed cities here tomorrow, and that's going to give us a, 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 a better view, right? This is today's, the, the phrasing from today is kind of like the 10,000 foot view. And then tomorrow we're going to get very specific as to the cities that were conquered And remember that the cities, the walled cities or the important cities, they had surrounding territory. And so it's it's giving us a general idea of how much land they conquered and took, but not precise, right? There's cities in between all of these things. And so it's a it's a very complicated, dynamic situation. And we don't have a unified, conquered Israel until David. And so that's how challenging it is to understand all of these different pieces when it comes to the geography and the history of all of this. So with that, I can't wait to jump into it tomorrow, but for today, that's all we've got. And for the 10 week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10 week Bible study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast. And my heart is for people to fall in love with God's word. Thank you.